Welcome to the Sticky CMO, brought to you by award-winning marketer Tom Baskill. This is the podcast for CMOs who want to become indispensable. Each week, Tom is joined by expert guests on the cutting edge of their fields to help you level up where it matters. From socials to lead gen, each episode is packed with actionable tips for marketers looking to become irreplaceable in their organizations, because 2023 is the year to become sticky. So hey everyone, and welcome to the Sticky CMO. My name is Tom Baskill, and today I am lucky enough to be speaking to the founder and CEO of multiple award-winning brand strategy studio, Mocha. Mocha has created hundreds of brands and websites from the ground up. They've created a staggering 600,000 social media posts for their clients. So it's my absolute pleasure to introduce today's guest, Kendra Beavis. Thanks so much for having me on. What an intro. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying my best to show everyone how absolutely incredible it is to work with you. Well, it is also incredible to work with you. We've been working together a long time. A long time. I think since 2012. Was that how long? Wow. I think so. Yeah. So if we want to dive right in, in my work, and I'm sure you've also experienced something similar, I've spoken to like a number of CEOs. And when it comes to like website and brand overhauls, it just seems like a big headache. There's so many moving parts for them. And one of the things that I found, and even working with you on, on websites, is that it's like absolutely impossible to get a quick approval from the C-suite yeah. on all of these t- pieces. So why do you think that is so tricky? And like, what are the bottlenecks there? You know, it's so hard and it, it depends on the size of the company you're talking about too. And in the involvement, the final word is always the CEO. So a lot of times what happens is they don't review anything until like the ninth hour. And if there's like a major, major change that needs to happen, it can derail the entire project. So one of the things I've found is like making sure that there's consistent reviews with the people that are going to be making the final yay or nay on things. And I think a lot of times people also don't realize the amount of work that their team has to do because there's so much to pull out of a team and understanding the company culture and the goals of the project. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily start there. How do you help CMOs and the C-suite backtrack and be like, what's the strategy or, or what do you need or what are the goals? A lot of the times I'll dive into what their issues have been. So usually the call to action to get a new website developed stems from problems. So whether it be, you know, their feedback from their clients or that it's confusing to navigate or there's been so much change from when they started and where this initial website was developed to where they are today. So now they have different initiatives. There needs to be a different user journey. So starting with like, what are the pain points that you've been hearing that leads you to believe that you need a new website? Sometimes it's completely just visual that, you know, they have a dated look. You know, they started this company 20 years ago and now today it just doesn't hold up anymore as far as their branding goes. So talking about what led them to believe they need these things and then kind of diving deep once we get those initial conversations started. What mistakes do you think they're making in that area? Like if you were to go into building a brand new brand and if you have the foundation shaky, you're going to create something that you won't even need, right? It could come down to hiring. Maybe you're not hiring the right studio A lot of people look at money as their most impactful reason for hiring a different studio to help them with a rebrand. But yes, obviously you have a budget, but you also have to think about what kind of value does this bring to your company and what is it really worth? A lot of people will think, well, like, okay, it's a website, it's a couple thousand dollars and that's all I'm willing to pay. But at the end of the day, if you're going to make a certain amount of money because now you're increasing your lead generation, what is that really worth to you? 
I see that a lot of times that people will hire a very budget firm or individual and then turn around at the end of the day, the product is not what they had hoped for. Another mistake is trying to keep up with the Joneses, what other companies are doing. And quite often I'll see people say, I want exactly that. Well, that doesn't necessarily fit your company culture or what you're doing or how you're serving your clients. So while it can inspire a new brand or a new website, really keeping it specific to your company is really important. And I see that a lot. And you also don't know, you know, if you see someone's shiny new website, you don't know if they didn't go through the strategic exercise to start with. So it might be very pretty to them, but it might not even serve their needs. So you're just copying off of like a a bad template almost. Well, the hardest thing about that, if you go that direction and you do create a brand around what somebody else did, when somebody questions it, you know, you can really poke a lot of holes in that because you don't have the reasoning that you put this together this way. When we approach a project, we really make sure that it's completely unique, that it speaks to that specific business Years and years ago, everyone used templates and it was fine because it was kind of like you built a website and you just needed to get people there. And it's kind of a different animal now. It's so much more about this online environment for people to understand your brand in a visual and, and experiential way, much more than it used to be, you know, 20 years ago when I started this. So making sure that you're making choices that have a lot of reasoning and strategy behind them rather than just, well, they use blue. We want to use blue because we're their competitors. So we want to show up similarly. Yeah. So actually going back to, I'm going to segue into the name of the podcast, the Sticky CMO. To get a CMO to be sticky, having a success, like a big success is really important to keeping your job. So how can having someone create the right new brand for you or having someone create the new website that's right for you, how can that kind of help you as a CMO? I could see, for instance, if the website is really great at capturing the right leads, you've just made sales really happy. So no one wants to get rid of you. You're just the most important person now. Yeah. Well, I think just taking that initiative and getting the project over the line shows your value. I think that having the foresight to create something that is a very valuable tool for the company is tremendous. And anyone that takes the initiative to do that in a really smart and strategic way, they're going to notice that. And especially when people start poking at different parts of it and you have the answer, kind of going back to what we were talking about originally with, you know, there's a strategic reason why everything is done. Nothing is done without a reason. If there isn't a reason for it, then it maybe it shouldn't even be there or be a part of what you're doing. So for a CMO to be taking on this kind of project, I would say, you know, make sure that you're involved in every step of it so you understand why things were done so you you can speak to them after and making sure that it is a tool and it's a valuable tool that will continue to grow with the company. Right. Yeah. I mean, your website right now is your biggest piece of real estate. And so making sure that you've got that nailed down is critical, which actually kind of brings me to landing pages. And when you talked about user journey and making sure that you don't lose leads or or clients in the process, what is a key variable to consider when you're building a landing page with like lead gen as your priority? So like if you want people to land on this and then fill stuff out, like what is important to consider there? I think a lot of companies kind of lose people in the messaging. So making sure that your messaging is super, super on point and it's about the pain point of the client that you're trying to attract, not about the company. Nobody wants to get to a landing page and hear 10 reasons why this company is so great. They want to see their problem that you're specifically solving and how you're going to solve it. And then they will jump on board. Yeah, that's a key point messaging because you really want to agitate that pain point. 
because you want to feel that they're being talked to themselves. And whether it's B2C or B2B, you're still selling to a person. Well, and I think getting very clear on that person too. We go super, super deep into avatars and it could be several different avatars that your company serves, but a landing page should have one. So you could have 20 different landing pages hitting all of those different avatars. And then when you're looking at your distribution list, segmenting it so that you're sending the right people to the right place is really important. So whether it's their age, what their pain point is, there's so many different distinguishing things that set apart you know, your tone of messaging. And A-B test, completely mm. A-B test. Because you don't know, you can guess, <laughs> but it's always surprising when I actually look at metrics on things after we've done a test to see, sometimes I'm completely blown away. Like, why? Why did this campaign do so much better than that one? You think you may know who's looking at your website and who's looking at these landing pages, but by putting several different versions of it out there and seeing and testing and what does best will allow you to have a better result in the end. That's a great point, actually. We think we know what our customers want. But putting it directly in front of them and having them choose and giving us the data is yeah. super powerful. Like, what would you say are some of the most important things to make sure you're A-B testing? Where your call to action buttons are, what they're actually saying, and that first initial headline. I would say anything above the fold on a landing page, you can create several different versions and see because it's the first thing people see and, and depending on where they came to you from. So whether it was an advertisement or something a little more warm than that, you know, just testing that top bit is probably your best bet and your best time spent. I like the Aline strategy of like, get it out there and then have the consumer tell you. And I always find that in A-B testing, it's like, let's not test two different blues against each other. Let's test like a yeah. vastly different headline and a vastly different yes. headline. Like yeah. Those, yeah. Those big pieces. Yeah. Do you have like any case studies in mind of like a good do and don't? Like, have you seen something do really, really well and then seen something be like an abysmal failure? Not specifically. I think what I see is people get too boasty about their own company and never really get to or even start with the thing that they solve. A lot of companies tend to look at websites like their own personal refrigerator. Here's these awards and here are these clients that we work with. And it's like, great. Like, how do you solve my problem? At the end of the day, I think websites have really become much more about giving a flavor for who you are and then getting people to make a personal connection. Unless you're a product-based business, then it's different. But certainly service, you just want to give them an idea of who you are, what you can do, and not over-explain. Just get them to reach out and make that personal connection. Or if you're capturing leads, being able to have your team jump in and make that connection. Whereas I think years ago, it was like your digital online business. This is everything we've ever done. And it's just too much. Another thing people do is they'll look at your homepage and then immediately go and check your social media. So it's something to also pay attention to. Don't forget that your brand extends beyond your website. Any other social media you're on should have the same tone, both in messaging and in imagery. And when they go to your social media, are they seeing that you're consistently posting that you are giving value there as well? A lot of people will find you through social media, especially if your content's really great finding you there first and then coming over to your website to check your credentials and just make sure that they like what your team looks like and that you can actually solve their problem. And social media is a great place to test your messaging, those pain points, because there's so many different 
types of ways that you can create content to speak to all of that. And it doesn't feel redundant because it's not on one page on a website or there's not multiple landing pages for people to find. I think social media is a great way to speak to different avatars and find them there and bring them back. Another thing I just wanted to mention is if you currently have a website and you currently have an online presence, being able to do some research with your analytics and your data and understanding where your traffic is coming from, where they're falling off so that you can have a good idea when you're ready to restructure and do a new website. Well, this has been our history and using that data. Data is huge and any place you can get it, even polling your current client list asking them to give you some information, generating a list of questions that would allow you to create a new brand around what your current clients are saying is game-changing. You'll come out with a better end result. And also polling your team. We do that a lot where we'll ask the whole team, like, how do you feel about the current branding? What do you feel that your mission is, that the core values are? Because a lot of times, somebody who's kind of somewhat removed from the team may think that everyone is understanding what the company culture is. And then when we get these results back, it's often eye-opening that it's not trickling down because a brand is not just what the customer or client is seeing. It's also what your team is embodying. And if they don't know what that is, unlikely that they'll be able to do that. So when you walk into an office and their core values are on the wall and it's a consistent part of the conversation and you ask what the mission is, what the mission of the company is, and any employee down to an intern can verbatim repeat it, you've done a good job. I also love that you talk about data and analytics because I feel like there is this perception or at least from what I deal with a lot of C-suite executives who care only about numbers. And I feel like there's this idea that social media, which is my bread and butter, but also like design is just like, oh, it's floofy. And we just pick some colors based on how we feel. But what is really happening is that there is a huge amount of data to dive through. You've got analytics from the website you can dive through. You can do brand recall research. There's all sorts of pieces that are really critical that can tell you how to brand, how to message all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. The more information you can get, you're just starting in a better place. That brings me to what else I want to talk about, which is brand recall. Because lead gen, I feel like at least for B2B tech founders in general, I find that they are super numbers driven and that's great. That's kind of their bread and butter. But branding and design are critical, not just for lead gen. They're also for like brand recall. What would be your definition of brand recall? You want people to understand from just seeing a logo exactly the kind of feeling they're going to get when they work with a company. And it's hard. It's hard to do in this day and age. Like not only is like every single company name already taken. (laughs) So you start to see things like BTR instead of better because you have to get creative. But being able to stand out and have people know your brand, it's a monster task. But that's the job of what we do every day to try and make you stand out, try and make something distinguishable that people see things and know, oh, that's this company or that's that. Like even like FedEx, they are so consistent with their fonts, everything they put out there, their messaging, their tone, you know that company a mile away. Consistency is absolutely key and trying to be as creative as you possibly can, giving your best service and doing a good job will keep you more recognizable than others. And if you don't control that, that brand recall could be negative if you're not actively there controlling it, feeding the information that, that you want in there. Absolutely. Yeah. What would you say the main challenges are for a CMO when it comes to improving brand recall? What are they fighting against? 
I think it's just a soup out there. It's hard to stand out. Product-based is a little bit easier because you're oftentimes launching new things. But for a service-based company, how many times can you say what you do? So I think just being really creative about the ways that you're coming out and putting out messaging, putting out advertisements, just be as creative as possible while still adhering to your brand guidelines. And yeah. I like that latter point because like you have to be creative within your constraints, right? So you want to be consistent and say the same thing without saying the same thing, but also kind of saying the same thing. And so there's a whole range of difficulties there and challenges that CMOs and other marketing leaders really have to really struggle with, I'd imagine. Yeah. Well, when you have a strong brand and it allows you the space to do that, I mean, that's kind of how you know you have a strong brand, that it allows you to kind of massage it in different directions based on what the goals and initiatives are. Like, again, if you look at Apple, like they will go outside the box a little bit, but their brand is such that the baseline of it is so recognizable and so strong. Even if they decided to use, you know, neon colors and gradients, you still know what it is because there's elements to it that they're threading that are consistent. Yeah, that's a brilliant point is like those key elements. And I mean, it's recognizable, the iPhone outline. So even just having the outline and whatever image in there, you've got the outline, you know what it is. Right. But most of us are an Apple. So I think there's, depending on where you're at and what kind of business you have, that consistency, I can't urge enough. Because I see so many companies where they're like, they're bored. And maybe it's because their branding isn't strong either, but they'll like go rogue on something and it just doesn't hold up and people are confused and you do not want to cause confusion. Right. The confused buyer is not going to buy. That's actually a great point is managing expectations because as a service provider on both sides, someone coming up to me and being like, I want to be Apple. Unless they're going to give me a couple million dollars and a huge team, like that's kind of laughable. And we don't need to be Apple, right? We just need to get our clients. That's the key. Yeah. I think your internal structure is good. You have a great team. You're consistently providing great service. And then if your branding on top of that is on point and strong, then you're going to stand out. You're going to be memorable because people are going to recommend you to their circles. So I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to the service you're providing is top notch and then having the visual and the tone to match that. I love that you recommending to your circles. And that's why a brand is so important because when someone recommends you, You want them to be able to give you one sentence to tell their friend. Otherwise, it's going to be too complicated. What is the role of risk for a CMO making these kind of design decisions? Because there is a risk in changing, but there's a risk in stagnation. And you did mention going rogue and how that can cause confusion and that can totally turn folks off. So let's go with a complete rebrand. What is the kind of like risk behind that? How do you mitigate that? Yeah. So you could have, you put this out there and then your circle, your current clients, like people are not digging it at all. That is definitely a risk that could happen. But I think if you're starting out with strong reasoning behind what you're building, you can have buy-in even if, because some people don't like change. So anytime they see something new and different, it's like, ugh. And team buy-in, I've seen people not accept a new brand happily as a team member. But I think a lot of that can be avoided by just communication. So from your audience side, from your clients, kind of giving them the insight that this is happening and why, you know, teasing it is something that's always kind of fun to do, whether it be on your social media or just in conversation that this is coming, getting people excited about it. 
So you can kind of like craft the narrative around it and why it's being done and not just like popping out a new brand one day and people being shocked. I think having that teasing opportunities, it can create a little bit of interest and excitement around a brand relaunch. And from the team side of things, making sure that they feel like they're involved in the process, that it's not just happening, that they're actually a part of it and that they were able to help craft the brand rather than it just being thrown at them. And so they also understand why choices were made and are on board immediately. One of the other big parts that I see that make a brand relaunch very difficult is you're not providing the tools for your team to run with which oftentimes will lead to like these rogue presentations or emails going out that don't look like they should. And it's because there's not a good system, whether they be actual tools at your fingertips that have a solid dashboard where your team knows where they can get the templates they need that are updated, the logos, whatever it may be. But a good rollout to your company is really, really important. So there's definitely ways to minimize risk. And I feel like the biggest risk is having this black box of three people go in, a brand suddenly comes out a year later and everyone is like, oh my goodness. So you can you can talk to internal stakeholders, you can talk to customers, you can tease it. But I also love that idea of a rollout because it's not just, oh, it's live now, right? That's, yeah. kind, of, that's kind of terrifying. Your sales team needs to be trained and it would be great if they saw it in a dev environment. So they know, okay, if I'm on a sales call and I need to send somebody this asset, here it is right. and it's in the new branding colors and I know I'll have it when I'm on that call. Yeah, involving your team way before you actually launch. It also allows you to have some better insight into like how your sales team sells and what kind of things that they would love to be able to have as a new tool. So creating something that is going to be super valuable for the company, that's a good way to do it too, is another huge reason to involve your team. We did a brand rollout a couple of years ago, and they had just done one a year prior to that. And they were shocked that they didn't have to like hunt and peck and create their own pieces. Everything was done for them and it was very organized. And we did a whole day retreat on it trying to get everyone excited and show them what the new opportunities were and what the new tools were. We recently just relaunched a brand that we had done about 10 years ago. We rebranded this company. Now they've grown and changed and shifted. So we had to rebrand them again. And it was weeks of talking to the team way, way after we had already done all the internal teamwork where we had given them polls and things like that. But good two to three weeks where we just went over all the pieces that needed to be redone and getting all the email templates ready, the email signatures, testing that, making sure that everyone was totally ready and on board, understanding what their responsibilities were when it came to social media. Because when you do a big launch, you want the whole company to be excited about it and push it out there, not just the brand page. So you know, having a plan for all of that as well was a big part of the rollout. Yeah, that's something else for a CMO to consider is... You might have the best new website or the best new brand, but if you haven't done that kind of change management internally, it could still flop. So they're like hand in hand, two pieces that you really need to nail. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're uh, getting close to time. I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. And I feel like I've learned a lot about design and the important foundational thinking that needs to go behind it before you decide to pull the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I love having these companies. It's one of the reasons I decided to start my own company was because the way it was being done just felt so wrong and impersonal. Everything about a brand is personal. It is all about who you are you and why are you going to be the best choice for me? 
So putting yourself out there and really showing your culture and what your differentiators are, it's everything. So thank you for listening to The Sticky CMO. We're available on the podcast app of your choice, as well as on YouTube as a video podcast. For more information on how to become indispensable to your organization, please visit us at www.tombaskill.com, spelled B-A-S-G-I-L.